This is the Line Weights Over Coffee podcast, episode 10. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Uzzer, and today we're talking all about a very hot topic, portfolios. So I know that a lot of us save our portfolios till the end, just before we have to apply for a job or we're applying to grad school. But I think this episode you should really listen to, even if you're a freshman, sophomore, grad student, doesn't matter what year you're in, because the eight things we're going to go over today are extremely important. And it's one of those things that I wish I had heard when I was doing my portfolio, because it would have really helped me out. So that's one of the reasons I'm doing this also is because I'm actually putting my portfolio back together, because it's been about three years or so that I touched my portfolio. And so I realized, man, I really got to get my work back together and I'm finding out right now that it's such a monumental task when you have all this data and photographs and renderings and images and so on scattered all over the place and the matter of finding the best way to put all of that together. So since I'm going through the process right now, I think it's the perfect time to talk about portfolio, even though it's not really the end of the semester yet. So before I get to the eight points, Let's go over what is a portfolio to begin with, all right? What is that? What's the definition, portfolio? Now, when I first came to architecture school, I thought a portfolio was just like documentation of what you've done, right? Just put together what projects you worked on, and that's really, that's your portfolio. But as the years went by, I realized that a portfolio is so much more than that. So today, after not only having made my portfolio a couple of times, but also having seen dozens of portfolios for people who've tried to apply for jobs at my firm and at other places, I can tell you that a portfolio really, if I had to make a definition for it, I would say a portfolio is an ambassador. Okay, like countries have ambassadors that go out and represent that nation. I think that's what a portfolio is. It's like you can't be there at every grad school when you apply and you can't be there at every firm that you're applying for. So you're kind of sending an ambassador and the ambassador is your portfolio. So don't think of your portfolio as just something about related to your architecture work, but rather it's you. It's a part of you that you're putting out there. So you can't be there in person at this firm to talk about a particular position. So you're actually sending your ambassador, you're sending your portfolio to speak on your behalf. So what would your portfolio say about you, right? It's not just your work. It's so much more because you're not defined by just your work, right? There's so much more to you than that. And that's what your portfolio is supposed to do. It's supposed to represent you when you're not there. It's supposed to say so much more about you that the next time they either call you for an interview or they want to talk to you on the phone, they already know so much about you just from your portfolio. And you're just kind of carrying on a conversation that has already begun. Moreover, a portfolio is not just about who you've worked for or the projects you've worked on. That can just be on a resume, right? A portfolio is about helping other people understand how you think. Because architecture, to me, is all about problem solving. In a portfolio, you're really showing other people how you solve problems. And once you put it in that framework, that a portfolio is not documentation, but it's rather how am I going to express to someone else what the problem was and how I solved it, you start to see that you start to put your portfolio together in a completely new light. All right, so now we've talked a little bit about the definition of portfolio. I think we're all kind of on the same page a little bit. 
I know it might still be a little confusing because everyone has their own definition of what a portfolio should be, what you should put in it, and so on. And this is like a never-ending conversation. But when we come back right after this, we're going to go over the eight tips that I can give you from my perspective on how to make sure that you're going to have a great portfolio. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you like what you're listening to and want more content like this coming your way, remember that the best way to support this show is by getting an Adobe CC subscription through our website at lineweights.coffee. Now, as architecture students, we rely heavily on graphic presentation tools such as Photoshop, InDesign, and Illustrator. We wanted to make it really easy for you to learn these programs and have created a set of high-quality tutorials complete with all the example files for you to learn the fundamentals to creating excellent presentations. So we cover Adobe Illustrator that teaches you how to properly import and manipulate your 2D drawings. We're talking line weights, line types, hatches, finding those vector scalies and textures and so on. Then, of course, we go into Photoshop where you have your renderings, you're adjusting light, materials, scale figures, even how to link your 2D drawings from Illustrator right into Photoshop. And then, of course, we round that all off with Adobe InDesign, which is the best publishing software out there in order for you to actually make your posters, linking your files, setting up your paragraph styles, proper printing procedures, archiving, and so on. Now, this course is actually a $109 value that you can get for absolutely free when you purchase an Adobe CC subscription through our website because we get a commission off each purchase. So to find out more, just go to our website at lineweights.coffee and click on Adobe. Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back. Let's just get right into it. Tip number one is start early. I can't stress to you enough just how important it is to start your portfolio as early as possible. For me, when I was in my first and second year of architecture school, I didn't think it was that important to get all my stuff together and put it in a portfolio because I would always hear that, okay, the people who are about to graduate, they're putting their portfolios together and that's when it's really important. But no, guys, start early. Okay. So as you're going through the semester, start saving your work, start organizing your folders on your computer, start making scans, photographs, whatever it is that you're doing in school, start gathering that and start early because there's nothing more frustrating than a year or two down the line. When you try and think and look back at the work you did, you may have forgotten some things about that, right? Because trust me, like when you go back and look in your archives, you're going to see just a bunch of images, a couple of scans, and so on. And you may even forget what the project was really about, how you felt at the time about the project, what the problem was, how you tried to solve it, what the influences were, what the design drivers were. A lot of that you may not have written down or you may not retain that because you've been, you've done, you know, three, four, five, six other projects after that. So it's always important that you, when you're starting early, you're saving your work, but Also, you're writing down just a little bit of notes on what each project was about, how you came about it, how you handled it, what were the different design decisions you made. And this applies to all projects, right? So not just your design studio projects, but maybe also projects in other courses, your materials courses, uh, papers you've done in your theory class. Save all of that because later as I go through this, you're going to see that you want to show variety in your portfolio. And so that's not just flooded with studio projects, but it may have samples of writing in there. It may have extracurricular courses that you took. And it's always going to be more difficult to get that type of data or media later than when it's fresh in your mind right now. 
All right, moving on to tip number two is save your process. So many times I come across portfolios and all I see is final work. I see like final renderings, final drawings, and I really don't see the process. And a lot of times what architects want to see is that they want to see how you think. They want to see how you solve the problem. So you have to be able to define what the problem was. You know, you need to show diagrams. You need to show sketches, sketch models, photographs of different uh, tests, whether it was material tests or little scale models that you've done, you need to be able to document those effectively and put them in there. Today, we live in a world where the media has gone way beyond just some type of 2D platform. So don't be afraid to go ahead and take some videos. Like it's so easy right now on your cell phone to set it up next to you while you're building a model and go ahead and start a time-lapse video. Or on your computer screen, if you're running a simulation or you're building a 3D model on your computer, you know, just start to do a time lapse there. It's so effective to have all these different variety of media in the end to help show your process and to help show the work that went into it. Whenever I see videos online of different architectural offices, I'm usually looking at their computer screens and seeing what programs are they running? How are they working? You know, it's the how they're doing it rather than the final product. I mean, the final product force is important and it's great. But as an architect, I think the how really intrigues us. And so when you are putting your portfolio together for each project, really think of how you're going to describe the how because it shows how you think and how you approach problem solving. And don't worry about limiting yourself right now. I mean, it doesn't matter. You could have hundreds of screenshots, photographs, whatever. Just gather everything now. You can always filter it later, but you need to have that archive built up for each project where you have a variety of media that really shows your process that you can draw from. All right, tip number three I can give you is use a template. Okay, now what I mean by a template is basically a simple digital template. I'm talking about something you do on your computer where you're using Adobe InDesign, you have a template which has your title, what semester the project was in, who the professors were, who your group mates were if you worked in a group, brief description of the project, images, diagrams, photographs, model photographs, renderings, and so on. You know, you have a general template for a project that you have. And so at the end of each project, you just go in and you just start filling it in. And yes, each project is going to be different and it's going to look different in your portfolio. But in general, each project will have a title. You're going to have a couple of sketches for them. You are definitely going to have a couple of drawings for each project. And so having a template allows you to just start placing things and seeing their relative size. And what a template also helps is that then you're kind of fixed on a certain format for your portfolio. So I remember my portfolio was a eight by eight inch square that I had done. But a lot of people choose a standard format such as an A3 or 11 by 17, even an A4 portrait. I've seen a couple of those. But whatever you choose, you can always change it later, but start with a template now. It just makes it easier for you to start gathering your information together and placing it. And please, one really important thing is don't use Photoshop to make your portfolio, the file is going to get incredibly heavy. I remember seeing a couple of people, the first couple of people I went to for Portfolio Hub were actually doing it in Photoshop. And I thought, okay, that's just the norm. I guess these guys are doing it this way. That's how you're supposed to do it. Until I learned about InDesign, thank God, because Photoshop, I'm telling you, is an amazing and powerful tool, but it's just not a publishing tool. And you want to use a nice publishing tool like Adobe InDesign. And if you have Photoshop, chances are you have Adobe CC subscription as it is. So then you just go ahead and download Adobe InDesign. If you have trouble, I'm going to put up a video 
that shows you exactly how to make a template. And I'll put a template up for download as well. So you guys can at least have a starting platform for which to start putting your portfolio together. All right, tip number four is know your audience. And what I mean by that is if you're an architecture student, chances are your portfolio will be used for one of two purposes. So either you are making a portfolio to get into grad school or you're making a portfolio to apply for a job. So let's go over each one of these. Now, there is some debate. Some people will say, well, keep the same portfolio for either, right? There's no difference whether you're applying to a school or applying for a job. And some people will say that, you know, you have to tailor each one differently. Here's my take. If you're applying to a school, a school doesn't want more from you other than they want you to do well at in school, right? They want you to be a good designer. They want you to learn and they want you to graduate with another great portfolio and go on to get a great job. That's what a grad school wants out of you. At the same time, they want you to contribute. They want to see that you can do some research, that you're inquisitive, and that you can contribute to the school's research initiatives and goals. For this, I would gather everything you've done in school. Okay, we'll talk about filtering in a bit, but generally you want to gather your best projects and also show them how involved you were in campus. Maybe you were part of other campus groups, your extracurricular activities. What other hobbies do you have? I think a school wants to also see just how flexible you are. So if you like taking photographs, then show them some of your photography portfolio. I remember there was someone who designed shoes and that's a powerful thing to show an architecture grad school because it shows that you're able to think differently. You understand scale, you understand the human scale in particular. I mean, you just want to be able to show the school that you're able to think, you're an independent thinker, you're able to creatively solve problems and that you have an inquisitive mind. On the other hand, in my opinion, when you apply to a firm, I think it's a slightly different story. So again, this falls into two categories. So in one category, there's a firm out there and they've placed an ad and they're looking for new recruits that have come out of school and you're applying for a particular position. Or on the other hand, you're just sending out blind portfolios, you know, cold calling these people and trying to get a job. So let's look at the first one. So if there's a job out there, there's a job description, and there's going to be certain skills that the firm is looking for. Okay, so when you're designing a portfolio for that job, you need to be able to maximize your chances by making sure that you pull those traits out right in the front. So if the firm is looking for more of a draft person and modeling role, you want to take those projects that you have that you are very strong at that and pull those all the way to the front. All right, make a new PDF, send that to them. On the other hand, if there was a firm that is more conceptual and experimental, then maybe you pull those projects out in front and leave the ones that were very technical for the end. I'm not saying you should eliminate any of those projects, but understand that when someone's going through your portfolio, especially if it's a PDF, they're going to start at the first page and start clicking down. The first impression they're going to get, you really want that to be really strong. So when they see it, they can be like, hey, this person would be a good fit. You know, look at this project. And then they see the next one and so on. But the first couple of projects that hit them should be related to what they're looking for in the job description. Again, that doesn't mean you eliminate the other projects because you still want to show diversity and variety. It's just that you are arranging your portfolio for that position. The second case is when you're just cold calling, right? You're just taking your PDF cover letter and just cold emailing all these firms out there. Okay, that's how I got my first job. But more on that a little bit later. But when it comes to that case, I would just put your own strongest projects first. So personally, whichever projects you feel the strongest about, 
that you would love to have a conversation with someone about that you would want to explore more, those you put up front, okay? Because that's what you're really passionate about. In the in a case where it's a cold email, you just want to be able to tell someone, hey, this is me, this is what I like, these are my interests, this is how I like to design, uh, have a look at my work. And you put just your favorite projects in there. Don't worry about what they're looking for, what that firm really is into. Like, you know, even if it's a firm that has a certain style, that doesn't mean you should only include that style in your portfolio. Include everything because firms love to see who you are. They're not hiring you because they're looking for someone who just matches their style, but rather what you're bringing to the table. Remember that for a firm, it's really about an investment, right? They're investing in you and they want a return on that investment at their firm. So they want to see how you're going to work but also how you're going to fit in with the team. Can you work with the team? Can you only work by yourself? They want to find out answers to these type of questions. And although that may not always be possible just through a portfolio, it's still important to just show who you are and a variety of your work. Now, here's a really important point. I have to point this out that please don't try and have too much of the same thing in your portfolio. This can go either way. It can go in a really good way or it can go in a bad way. So here, I'll put the good way first. So I was really like into digital design at the time, especially parametric modeling and all that, because I, I really like that stuff. And I tried to use it as much as possible on almost all of my projects. And so my portfolio ended up looking like this big digital world where I was just doing a lot of parametric modeling and experimentation on a lot of these projects. Well, what happens is, is that when someone looks at your portfolio like that, they think that that's what you're best at and that's what you can offer and they're going to hire you for that, which for me was actually a very good thing because I still love it and I still love doing it. And so when I was hired to do parametric modeling, I, you know, I was like, this is my dream job. This is great. It really worked out for me. But I've heard some of the bad stories as well. For example, there's a couple of people I know where their portfolios had excellent renderings. Okay, now renderings right now are one of those things where visualizations are becoming increasingly important for architecture firms. Okay, now a lot of firms do export their renderings to third parties to do. They just send their model and the materials that they want and they get the renderings in their inbox a couple of days later. But a lot of times people do in-house renderings and it's becoming more and more important to show your client exactly what the building may look like or the feel, the atmosphere that is going to be in the space. And so firms are really looking for visualization artists. And so I know a few people who had such excellent renderings in their portfolio that when they were hired, they were just asked to do that one task. And so they would spend day after day after day just doing renderings. And in the end, they quit because they realized that's not what they went to architecture school for. You know, they went to school for to design, to solve problems. And if all they're doing is renderings, then that's really not going to work out for them. So it's one thing to just be a little bit careful about in your portfolios is that you're not too much on one thing unless that's what you're going for. Like, I want to be hired for this. So please look at this. I'm great at this part. The last thing I want to say about applying to firms is that firms generally, you know, of course, are in a variety of sizes, right? You have really tiny firms and huge firms of thousands of people. Sometimes when you show variety, it's a great thing because it may be a small firm and they need someone who can wear multiple hats. You may be drafting one day, 3D modeling another, having to do a visualization, having to do some diagrams and going back between multiple platforms and softwares. And if they see variety in your portfolio, then that's great. On the other hand, it may be a firm that's very, very segmented, right? They may have a drafting team, a 3D modeling team, a visualization team, and many other departments where they, when they hire you, they want to put you in one of those departments. 
Now, personally, I feel that those type of jobs are going to go away more and more as time goes by. The boundaries between disciplines is disappearing and we're all going to be sharing a little bit of what each other does eventually anyway. So I feel that that type of model where you segregate by skill is going to fade away because people's education is becoming more interdisciplinary as it is. But just something to keep in mind that at a firm that has these segregated skills, when they see a portfolio with a lot of variety, they may not know where to place you. So just a few things to keep in mind. So again, there's no right or wrong But just keep in mind who your audience is going to be. And if you already know what they're kind of looking for and it lines up with your own interests, then that's great. And make sure you highlight that in your portfolio. All right, tip number five, I can tell you is learn a little bit about publishing. Okay, a portfolio is going to be a document in the end, whether it's all digital, whether it's all print. At the end of the day, it's a document and you need to understand a few basic things like terms like what are pixels, DPI, When someone opens a PDF, will it look right on their screen? If you're going to print this book out, what parameters do you need to keep in mind to make sure that all the images are nice and crisp, that your text is the right size? Some of this basic knowledge and formatting knowledge is very, very important if you're going to make sure you have the right portfolio. Because say you're doing a print portfolio, you may be printing 15 books at a time right? You're not going to print one by one. You're probably going to batch it and you don't want there to be any errors. So you're really going to have to pay attention. And especially when you're printing, it's difficult to see on the screen how it's going to turn out until you actually print it out. So keeping in mind something like if you're taking a photograph of a model, what resolution are you going to put your camera at? How do you know how many pixels by how many pixels each photograph needs to be so that when it's on the screen, it's not too big and it takes forever to load. But at the same time, when you print, it's not appearing pixelated. So having some basic knowledge of what screen resolutions are, for example, on screens, it's 72 DPI versus print is 300 DPI. And just understanding what happens to an image or a rendering or a drawing when it's a vector file, when it's a raster file, what's it going to look like on a screen versus print? Those things are really important. And it's not something you can just worry about later. But the earlier you start thinking about this, the more sense it'll make for you to save files in a certain way. For example, if you have a great plan drawing and you take it into Photoshop, you're going to lose all your lines. They're all going to become pixelated. And if you try to zoom in on the image, say you made a PDF, you're going to see the pixelation. But if you print it out, it may be okay because you can't really zoom in on a physical page. So when you're exporting your 2D drawings, make sure that they are vector files so they're legible on a PDF. So I will make an episode later going specifically over formatting different types of files. It's going to be a much more technical episode, but I think it's really important for us to know that. Otherwise, we're going to have a portfolio that even though we have some really great content in there, it really doesn't shine or come through because of the formatting. Which brings me to the multiple different types of formats, right? So, so far I just talked about Something on the screen versus something on a page. But even that goes so much further. Personal story for me, the last year of architecture school, I was looking for jobs actively. I flew to New York and I went firm by firm and started looking for jobs. My portfolio wasn't all the way finished because I hadn't finished my thesis yet. But at the same time, I wanted to have something on me. So this is what I had done. I had gathered whatever I could of my portfolio together. I had made a PDF. Then I had uploaded the PDF onto issue, issuu.com, great website. So anyone could go online and see my portfolio there. Of course, it was also a PDF. And at the same time, what I did was I made these custom CDs. So I just bought blank CDs, burned my portfolio onto each one of them. 
and also made like a custom sticker that goes on top with my name and my contact details on it. And then a custom little cardboard sleeve to put the CD in it. I mean, I went through a whole bunch of different things like little contact cards. I even carried around a little tablet with me because my research had a lot of these little videos in there, like simulation videos. And so it was, it was really difficult to just show that in print. So I had a tablet that I could show someone and just hit play and, you know, it would play the video and show them what I'm trying to express. But also I had those videos burn on the CDs. And if you ask me now, like I wouldn't do CDs today because, you know, now if you try to buy a Mac, they don't even come with a CD player. So technology is changing and the format that we're going to be delivering our portfolio in is, is continuously going to change. I think every architecture student should start a website of their own. It's not that difficult to set up. I had set one up a couple of years ago, otherkportfolio.com. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to see it. It was very basic. I made it on WordPress and it has some of my professional work on there. But it was really useful to have that because on a website, it's so powerful. Not only can you put images on there, but you can put videos. Say you worked on a publication when you were in school for the book that the architecture department produces every year. Well, you can put a link to that on your website. Say you were part of multiple extracurricular activities and different student groups. You can put links to those on your website. Say you attended a conference once. You can put a link to that on your website. A website allows you to connect to so many other things on the web, such as your Flickr account, your Instagram account, whatever it may be. I mean, there's so many ways and flexibility that comes through with a website that I think more and more websites are going to be used as a way to express your designs and become a portfolio in its own sense. But please don't forget to also make that PDF that's extremely important to mail out. And just a few notes on a PDF. When you're making a PDF and you're sending it in the mail, don't make it big. Don't make gigantic PDF. I've seen PDFs that go over 100 megabytes. There's no reason. You cannot email that. What's going to happen is you're going to need Google Drive or WeTransfer or something like that. And no one wants to go through the extra step. When you send something to an office, they want to be able to open it right away. Okay, so keep that attachment under 10 megabytes if you can. Even if you have a website, even if you have it uploaded on issue, always have a PDF, always have it attached with your cover letter, with your resume. It just make life a lot easier. All right, let's get to tip number six, which is limit your text. We are architects. We are visual beings. We react very strongly to sketches, to drawings, photographs, images, renderings, plans, sections, elevations. That's our language. That's how we speak. So if you just start putting a whole bunch of text in there, it's not going to make much sense. This is a mistake that I had made. My portfolio was filled with text because I was constantly trying to describe what I was trying to do, what the conditions were, when I should have just diagrammed it instead. They say a picture is worth a thousand words and a series of diagrams can effectively describe anything whether it's how your project reacts to the site or the different things that inspired your design. I mean, it's so much easier to put a few images or make your own diagrams to describe that than to have to write paragraph after paragraph. The only time that I think a lot of text is acceptable is when you're putting a sample of writing in there. So say you wrote a theory paper, put that theory paper in there, make it a whole spread, then that's it. That's the portion where you have a lot of text and the rest when it's projects, let the project speak for itself. Of course, your projects are going to have some text, so make that text valuable, right? What is that text going to be? That text is going to be the problem-solving part. What was the question that you were trying to solve? What were the problems that came up? How are you actually solving this design problem in your own way? That's what really the text should represent. I'm not saying it should be minimal, but you'll know the balance between just the right amount of text versus the images and diagrams that you have. 
And just to be completely honest, like I, I feel like I really have to say this, is that when a portfolio goes to an office, you know, they don't have a lot of time to read every paragraph for every project, right? Chances are when a portfolio comes in, imagine a PDF gets sent to an office. They're going to open the attachment and they're going to start flicking through. And when they're flicking through, they're not reading. They're just looking at the images, right? As you're flicking through, you may see, oh, these are some great drawings. These are some wonderful diagrams. This person is really interested in photography. I mean, those type of things visually will speak to a person a lot more when they're scrolling through. They're not going to stop and read paragraph after paragraph. So make your text very selective and almost just as an accompaniment to the images rather than being a piece of content by themselves. Okay, tip number seven is organizing your portfolio. I touched on this earlier, but I'll just repeat it anyway. Organize it in a way that shows your best work first. Okay, so when someone opens a portfolio, They'll see the cover page, the resume, and then when they move in, they immediately see your best work. Put your best work first, no matter what. Okay, do not go in chronological order. That was one of the first mistakes I had done on my first draft. And then I realized that all my best work was near the end, and I had kind of really had to flip it around and eliminate a lot of my first projects. For me, if I had to do my school portfolio again, I would put my thesis up front. Even though I had a separate book altogether from my thesis, I would at least put some of that up front because I was really passionate about that. And then I would follow that with the rest of my best work. And I may only keep five projects, five of my best works, as opposed to you know, 10 or 12 of your okay works. A portfolio doesn't have to be long. It just has to give enough of your best information to give people an idea of how you think, what skills you're great at, and a little bit about who you are. And when it comes to organization, don't forget to cross-reference it with your resume. So when you're writing your resume and say you write under digital skills, you write Rhino AutoCAD. Well, make sure that in your portfolio, you're showing enough of Rhino and AutoCAD in there, right? There needs to be this correlation between the summarized portfolio, which is your resume, and of course, your real portfolio itself. If the skills don't match, it's not going to make much sense. Tip number eight, one of the most important tips that I can give you is get feedback. Okay, a portfolio is in itself a project. Okay, a lot of people don't see it that way. They just see it as something on the side. I have to put my projects together in this document but instead don't see it that way see the portfolio as a design project okay it is a problem that you are trying to solve how are you going to convey your best of yourself who you are how you solve problems to the rest of the world how are you going to do that that is a problem and as an architect you're a problem solver the portfolio could be the answer to that And how are you going to design this portfolio? What is it going to say about you? When you start looking at the portfolio as a project, you start realizing that you're going to be spending a lot of time on it. And the more time you spend on it, the more you realize that you may have to be a little bit disconnected to have an objective view. So you're going to need your peers. Okay, get your peers involved. Every couple of days that you're putting your portfolio together, have people look at it. I know in my class, there were people with a much better publishing design eye than myself. And so I'd make sure they had a look at it just to get some feedback, get some tips. You know, when you're looking at a portfolio, when it's right in front of your screen and you're putting it together, it's very different from someone else's walking in, looking in and saying, that image is really dark. And if I looked at that screen, my eye is just drawn to that one image rather than seeing everything as a whole. And you may not notice that sitting in front of your computer, but someone else may have to say to you. So please, as you're doing this, just as with any design studio project, get feedback, 
not only from your peers, but also from your professors. This is an interesting story where I had finished my portfolio and I went to one of my professors for feedback. It was one of the strangest experiences for me because as my professor was looking through them, he basically looked at me and said, I don't think anyone's going to hire you. At the time, I didn't understand. He was saying, there's no technical drawings in this entire thing. I need to see more plans. I need to see more sections, more elevations. And now when I think back on that, I kind of understand that. Because as an office, what is your output as an architecture office? It's most likely going to be drawing sets. So as a firm, you are going to be looking for people that can contribute to that. If you're going to receive a portfolio that shows no drawings whatsoever and just shows a bunch of 3D models and experiments, you may not be as inclined to hire this person. I didn't really get that at the time and I was kind of taken aback by it also because I had a lot of text in there. And he says, why is there so much text and images? I need to see more drawings. But for me, it was too late to change anything about that. So I walked out of that office. I decided I wasn't going to change anything and just try my luck. You know, I got my first job through a cold email And my first job really didn't involve any drawing at all. It was exactly what my portfolio was trying to convey, that I'm interested in parametric modeling, I'm interested in optimizations and simulations, and that's exactly what my job was. I didn't have to do any drawings. I had to do reports and a lot of analysis. They didn't really need me for that technical portion. So I find myself quite fortunate that I was able to find that and that my job aligned with what I was looking for. But I guess my professor's point was that Your portfolio doesn't show enough variety for a firm to be able to look at it and place you within their team. Now, whether the advice was correct or incorrect is not the point here. The point is that feedback is essential, even if it means something that you're not necessarily going to be happy with. Because I can tell you, I walked out of that quite discouraged, but at least someone told me that. Because what if I wanted to join a more traditional office? You know, what would have happened? I would have probably not done as well. In which case, I would have wished that someone had told me years earlier that, hey, make sure you have enough technical drawings if you want this type of job. More plans, more sections, more work in 2D, clear line drawings showing that you have knowledge of line weights, line types, hatches, so on. And then I would have had a terrible time looking for a job. So what I'm trying to say is that feedback is essential, especially early on. And if you're listening to this as a freshman or a sophomore, you know, go ahead and find those grad students at your school. Go find the seniors. See what they're working on. See what their portfolios look like. Ask them the same questions. What kind of jobs are you looking for? How much variety are you showing? How much non-school work are you putting in your portfolio? You're going to get a lot of advice from these peers around you. A lot of it may contradict with what I'm saying, and that's perfectly fine. But please get that feedback. All right, guys, those were my eight tips to have a great portfolio. If you guys have any more tips, make sure you go to the show notes of this episode and put it down in the comments because we can always make another episode with eight more great tips for portfolios. But I really hope that these tips can help you out. I recommend listening to this at the beginning of every semester so you kind of have it in the back of your head that you got to start early, start saving everything, make different types of media, start thinking about making a website, get a template together, focus on images and not text, and getting your resume together. If you want to know more, you can always go to our website at lineweights.coffee. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll see you guys next week.